It's hard to discern what's good uh, and what's not, especially in, in our day. I mean, I found that little clip in um, looking for something that would, that would be uh, relatable, that you know uh, people have, uh, have followed after. Um, I could have pulled up the, a, a little promo for Heaven is for Real or some other books that, that are out there. Um, we know heaven is for real because the Bible tells us so, not because a little boy had, had an experience going there. But who wouldn't? As I pulled that one up. I just thought, I mean, who wouldn't want to be blessed, not stressed, right? Isn't that a, that, that's just a wonderful thing. I mean, if you, if you purchase this resource... If you're a mom, you're going to allow your children to break eggs in the floor, uh, pour out bags of flour on the, on the counter, run your vehicle through it, and you're not going to sweat the, uh, the small stuff. And then I, started, I, I thought about stopping there, but then I looked at the promo of, of introducing the, the television ministry, and I just, just saw beautiful people, um, and, and it, you may not have picked it up, but the music behind it was Discover the Champion in You as the boy throws the, throws the football. And then obviously it pans uh, the Omni uh, Center. Uh, thousands of people that were gathering uh, there um, not long ago within the past year or so. Um, Oprah Winfrey was the, the special guest there. Uh, sitting on the uh, sitting on the the, the front row, um, who wouldn't want to be blessed and 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 not stressed, especially in 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 our day and time. However, you understand that that while that is a that's a wonderful thing that that we would all desire, you can't always you can't always judge a book by uh, by its cover. Um, or you can't always judge a sheep by its clothing, uh, to use another uh, analogy. And since 9-11, um, it, it, there's an interesting correlation between uh, understanding, being able to discern false teaching and false teachers in the church at large and, and terrorism. I probably heard, I heard MacArthur make this connection first whenever he's preaching through, through Jude, not the introduction I'm going to give you, but just that correlation between spiritual terrorists and physical terrorists. And the connection that he made was, was uh, it, we're fighting a different war. Um, it's not guys dressing up in uniforms, lining up on the battlefield, and you know who the enemy is. You can't discern who the, who the enemy is. And, and since, since 9-11, there's, there's been an increased worldwide in, uh, military and military uh, and security interest in being able to identify bad guys. Um, they've labored to create new ways to detect to detect them before they before they strike. I mean, some of them have proven useful. Some of them have not. Some of them have, uh, you know, you don't even know about it, um, like the the NSA listening to all your phone conversations. And some of those things are are very public and. And they, they create great difficulty. I can use uh, the letters TSA, and, and you would all know how, how it has changed your, your life. However, technology, as it's increased, I think one of the most fascinating developments has been what's called facial recognition systems. 
Facial recognition is a computer program that automatically identifies a person from a digital image or a video source. It's described as like a fingerprint of your face. Um, when someone, uh, when it's used with surveillance cameras, it can actually pick someone's face out of a crowd. I mean, this is like, uh, uh, you know, CIA kind of stuff being used in, in, in everyday, everyday life. It, it, can, it, can, it can span a group of, of a mass of people or individuals walking through an airport or down the street or whatever, whatever it might be. I don't know if you noticed the, the, uh, the, uh, that UVA student that, was, that went missing. I mean, one of the ways they found the guy was they went and pulled video surveillance of, 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 of stores. Well, this has the ability to, uh, using uh, this software with video cameras, actually it can, pull a, it can extract a face from the rest of the scene and compare it to a database of stored images. And, and it's able to accomplish the feat because every person's face has approximately 80 nodule points. Now... Some of your faces may have more than 80 nodule points as you grow older, but approximately 80 nodule points is what the human face has. And it's the peaks and valleys which make up the facial features. And the software analyzes the distance between the eyes, the, the length of the nose, the depth of the eye sockets, the shape of the cheekbones, the length of the jawline. And, and then these nodule points are measured, and it creates a numerical code, and that's called a face print. And... When the face print of a suspected terrorist is programmed into a computer, it can alert security personnel when they simply pass by the surveillance camera. Fascinating to me. It has the ability to do that. Just like the face print that a recognition software creates, the Bible identifies a profile, a profile of individuals that the people of God must be protected from. And like the nodules used to detect someone from a crowd, Scripture gives us some conclusive features that provide a definitive portrait of false teachers. And these are men and women, in some cases, that want to blow up the souls of the unsuspecting. And the Apostle Peter provides a very helpful passage to, to help identify them. So I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. These characteristics that Peter gives us here, in really in the, the whole of chapter 2, he introduces in these first three verses, and it's the only place we're going to go tonight because he, he kind of covers the, the, the big picture for us there in the first three verses. But you might say that, that Peter makes up a spiritual wanted poster. And he's writing this letter to, to churches in, in Asia Minor. And, and Peter creates this spiritual most wanted poster and then he hangs it in the foyer of all of the churches in, in, uh, in this region of the, of the Roman Empire. And, and he, he tells them to be aware. Now contrary to our politically correct society, Peter and Paul for that matter has no problem profiling. And he also has no problem identifying and even marking the perpetrators. I mean, the Apostle Paul names names. Now, I know you've probably been in services, and, and even tonight when I introduced uh, with, that, with that video, there's, there's no intention just to be vitriolic or ugly to be ugly. But Paul and Peter has no problem identifying 
clear threats to the church and, and people, not that, that are wrestling with issues, but, but clear people that are clear outliers beyond the gospel. Because if, if those individuals are followed or, or, their, or their so-called gospel is believed, it, 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 it's not just you're, you're relegated to a difficult life. It can actually damn the soul. It, it can actually lead someone to hell. And that's why it's, it's so, so serious. This is not just a matter of, well, we're Baptists and they're not, so we want to throw rocks at them. I mean, this is a serious spiritual, spiritual matter. And as you're going to see, as we're going to see in the, in the text tonight, this is not anything new. It wasn't new in the Old Testament and surely not in the New Testament. It's not new today. Peter does such a good job in, in chapter 2, Jude actually follows suit and repeats the warning. Have you ever noticed that Second Peter and Jude are almost identical? And I've shared with you before that Second Peter, all of the verbs in Second Peter are future tense. These, these guys are coming. And then in Jude, they're, they're present tense. He says they're here. And then you can go to Revelation and you can see the actual effect the seven churches, the effect of what will happen if the church doesn't deal with false teaching. These false teachers, if not identified, can stealthily lead weak and naive people astray from the truth, and it brings about devastating consequences. I mean, we understand that Satan's game has not changed from the beginning. His game has always been attacking the self-revelation of God. And at times he does it through skeptics or outright scoffers, but, but Satan's most preferred method is, is through infiltrating the church or using that other analogy that we did in the introduction, like a wolf in sheep's clothing. The Bible says he presents himself like an angel of light. It's been said, when you're looking for the devil, don't forget to check behind the pulpits. You've heard that before, right? He's in the pews, he's in the pulpit, he's, he's everywhere. And false teachers are not new, but they're still deadly. And God has, has called elders of a congregation, He's called individuals in the congregation to, to be the front line of defense, to, to be able to discern, to be able to identify. Heretical teaching, it's like, it's like parasites that, that lay her heretical larvae within the church body. Bad doctrine is that. And when it's hatched, the deceptions devour the faith of everyone in, infected. Um, Peter says it's clear that they're not to be trifled with. These are not men and women that are simply asking questions within a wide path of Christian orthodoxy. These are evil men and women that he profiles and he says that you need to be able to discern to be able to expose them so you don't fall to the teaching that's, that's there. It's not a very politically correct message, is it? It would be nice if we all just say, well, everybody believes in Jesus, we'll just love everybody, and we'll just do our thing, and they'll do their thing, and it's fine. And, and you've listened to me long enough to know that I don't prop myself up on a pedestal or our church up on a pedestal, but, but the Bible says that that's not the way that, that we can live because this is a real threat, and, and it's hurting people, and, and it's attacking the gospel. And so Peter goes, goes straight uh, at the issue. Let's read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll see some characteristics that, that he outlines, outlines here. 
that will give you the ability, regardless of the next book that comes or, or preacher that's out there, if you apply these, these identifiers here, it will help you to discern, even if it sounds good or even looks good. Verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets... But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and will bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. And their destruction does not sleep or, or slumber. Now you notice immediately in verse 1, he starts with a but, which, which tells us that there's something before that. We've kind of jumped in the middle of a passage. And this is a pastoral letter, and Peter's reminding believers in, in chapter 1 that they receive grace upon grace. And you receive everything pertaining to life and godliness. You don't lack anything as a, as a believer. God has provided it already for, for you. And because of that, he tells us to strive or to labor, to work really hard, to add to your faith these certain things. And, and if, if you do that, fruit will be born in your life, and you won't struggle with security. You'll know, you'll make your calling and election sure, as the text puts it. And then you'll have, along with that fruit, an abundant, abundant entrance into, into heaven. Every time I read that passage, I think of the, the song, Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? It's talking about souls there. Peter's talking about fruit if you understand that the foundation of your life is the grace that God has, has given, He's provided everything, you'll labor, you'll strive, you'll, you'll, you'll work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, and from that, fruit will be born in your life. And you know when God's doing something in your life, you see God's doing something in your life, and you don't struggle with, wow, you know, am I the Lord's? Am I saved? Am I not? And you can see the Lord's working in your life. And then in the end, when you enter into heaven, you enter with, with fruit. And Peter says that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. He assures them of the grace. And at the end of chapter 1, he assures them that, that they have a reliable prophetic word that, that can, be, can be trusted. He says the Bible, he says, I'm going to remind you of these things as long as I'm alive. I'm even writing this letter, so it will be a reminder to you after I die. But, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm paraphrasing now. Peter says, I was eyewitness. I was an eyewitness of some amazing things. And he talks about being an eyewitness of the transfiguration. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? To be one of the individuals that, that saw the transfiguration of the Lord. You know, Peter goes on to say that was an amazing thing, but you have a more sure prophetic word. What he's saying is, is while it was amazing that, that I saw the transfiguration and what I'm testifying to you is absolutely true and absolutely sure, you can be even more sure of the Bible that you have in your hands. More than visions or, or amazing things that, that the, the, the apostles were eyewitness to, he says at the end of chapter 1, verse 19, we have the prophetic word confirmed. It's more sure even than, than those visions. 
which you would do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The Word of God is like a light and it shines in this, in this dark world and it will continue to shine until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Until Jesus comes, what you have to trust in is the Word and you can trust it. That's what Peter is saying. Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Not just about everybody claims that, don't they? Turn on the TV. God told me this. The Holy Spirit led me to, to say that. And Peter says that one of the ways that you can tell the difference is is they're moved by the will of God, not by their, their own will. But look at how he then transitions into chapter 2 in our text. But, well, while that's true, while the Word is true, and those prophecy of Scripture is of a private interpretation, it's holy men of God that spoke and were moved by the Holy Spirit, just though, but there were also false prophets amongst the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. So, I mean, he's in one sense holding up the... the you can the assurance that you can have in the Word of God, the, the sufficiency of the Word, the, the inerrancy, the infallibility, the, the inspiration, the Word is inspired. But even though that's true, there were false prophets in the Old Testament times, just as there will be false teachers today. And then in the next three verses, Peter gives us four identifying features of false teachers, how can you tell? How can you discern these, these men? Well, the Old Testament, if any prophecy that they gave whatsoever didn't come true, then they were a false prophet. A hundred percent accuracy or stoned to death. You can go out on the YouTube and Google um, some of, the, some of the, the Word of Faith teachers or other people today, and you can see a montage of statements that they've made and then contradictions that, that follow. They would have been in Old Testament times. They would have already been stoned. So what are the, what are the characteristics that Peter gives us here? Um, well, the first one is found in their deceptive infiltration. He says that they will arise familiarly, if you would, at, at verse 1. Twice, he says that they'll come from within, not outside. But there were also false prophets among the people in the midst of Israel, even as there will be false teachers among you within the church. Do you notice that? He focuses on this prophetic word. He says it's sure, it's like a shining light, it's supernatural, it doesn't originate from, from man but from, but from God and while the prophets moved by the Holy Spirit gave us the true word, false prophets were among them as well. The word of false teachers come from? Where's the first place that Peter tells us to look? It doesn't say look in Islam. You know that that's false. I mean, you know that that's contrary to the gospel. It is false, but, but they're not claiming to, to deceive Christians. I'm a Christian and I want to deceive you. Where do false teachers come from? They, they can come from any place, but both Peter and Paul strongly warn about those from within. What, 
Do you remember the, the message that the Apostle Paul gives to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, the elders of the Ephesian church, before he's taken off? And he's weeping, and he says, basically, you're killing me here. He's crying, they're hugging on each other's neck. And do you remember the warning that he gives? Ravenous wolves are going to come, and they're going to attempt to devour the flock. And do you remember where he says that they're going to come from? They're going to come from among you, he says. Satan attacks from within because I think it's the easiest place to, to leave our guard down. There have been more church leaders run off with a piano player than a, and a secretary than a stranger. And there have been more destructive heresies propagated from within the church walls than outside. <laughs> and the devil knows that you, you will not fall to unveiled Buddhism, but you may fall to pragmatism. Someone who is in the church may not read the teachings of a secular humanist, but, but they may buy into a man-centered program and then start down a path. I've watched people walk away from the truth because of a relationship within the church far more than any influence outside of it. And Satan knows it's easier to listen to a perceived friend than a stranger, so he infiltrates, he uses the same words, um... And then he uses phrases, quite frankly, like the champion within you. You have no champion within you other than Christ. And the problem is, before the champion can ever get inside, you have to understand that you are you're dead and wretched and filthy and sinful apart from Christ. And that's not a message that anybody really wants to hear. But you've got to have the bad news before the good news, right? He first says that, Look for them within. Let me give you the second one. It's, it's found in their destructive error. They'll, they'll introduce secretly. They'll arise familiarly. They're, there's a deceptive infiltration. They're not the real deal, but they creep in, as Jude says, unawares. And then they sow destructive error, and, they, and they'll introduce it secretly. Peter says privily or secretly. They'll bring in destructive heresies. That's a really strong word. It, it's the word for, for eternal destruction. I mean, it, they talk all the time on the news about the reason the war on terror is unlike any other war that the U.S. has ever fought because the enemy's hard to detect. Um, there's no army, there's no uniform to fight, and men and women who walk around look very much like civilians right before they blow themselves up without warning. Um, and false teachers, Peter says, are the, the same way. And it makes them hard to see. They, they hide the weeds of their teaching amongst the wheat of God's truth. Many don't completely throw out the truth or even attack all of it. They simply bring their teaching alongside it. This word that Peter uses here, who will secretly bring in, it's... It's the idea to creep in or to slip in under false pretenses. It means to introduce or to bring alongside. It was, it was the idea of a defendant attempting to fool a judge. It was a, the reason that false determining or discerning false teachers, detecting false teachers requires discernment is, is that, they, that they, bring their, they bring their message alongside the truth and, and run with it. Uh, 
Um, I used to grow up, there wasn't all of the multiple cartoons that are out there. And one of them, the classic, is Looney Tunes, right? And it used to be the, the Road Runner and Wile E. Coyote. And then every now and then they would do this, this one where Wile E. Coyote and Sam the Sheepdog. Do you remember that one? Wile E. Coyote and Sam the Sheepdog. And, and of course, you know, poor Wiley, He just gets bludgeoned every which way that's possible. But I can remember one of them. You know, Sam the Sheepdog's watching over the sheep. And, and the whole cartoon's about, you know, the coyote trying to get to them. And in one of them, you know, he, he takes this this little cardboard cutout or something of a, of a sheep, and, you know, he walks behind it like this, where he can't be seen, you know. And then, of course, Sam sees his feet walking there, and he throws a big boulder on him and crushes him or, or whatever. I mean, that's, that's what came to my mind whenever I, I looked up this word, because it means that they bring their teaching in alongside the truth. They, they hold the truth up, and they walk behind it. And you've got to look close, because it looks like, the truth until you see the feet uh, that that are there. Um, false teachers are never honest or forthright about their task. Some of them are even self-deceived. I mean, you think about it. Don't think that Satan follows the rules of of hermeneutics or historical integrity. He's he's the father of lies. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have to follow the rules. Um, there was an interview a while back between Martin Bashir, who used to be a um, a reporter on MSNBC. That is a news channel. I know nobody ever watches it, but it is a news channel. And Martin Bashir was was out there, and he was interviewing Rob Bell. Rob Bell just wrote this this new book uh, called um, Love Wins. Um, the subtitle was. You know, I'm a universalist. That wasn't really the subtitle, but that's what it should have been. And Bashir really did his homework. And he just saw so many contradictions in the book. And, and, he, and he just, he just this, you know, they, they set these things up to be like a softball interview. So, okay, you're going to promote the book. You come in. I'll ask you a few questions. You smile. And then, you know, you get some promo and I fill a new slot. Well, that's what Bell was expecting, but Martin Bashir had done his homework and just began to ask him questions. And you can go out and watch that as well. It's, it's, it's really hard to watch. Um, you, I mean, he says things like, you just can't write a book and just completely disregard history and even intentionally twist it to prove the point that you're trying to make. I mean, he was actually acting like a journalist, at least in, you know, in, in this article, or, I mean, in this interview. But that's what false teachers do. They, they don't follow the rules or, or anything other than subversion for, you know, for self-interest. And even when they're asked a specific question, they, they walk around it or leave themselves room to operate. That's why Paul says that preachers must not be double-tongued. You, you must be able to have believable words. You can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. You, you can't be known for that. Because when you speak, people must be able to know that what you say is true and, and that your words carry weight. And that goes for a Christian as well as a, as well as a preacher. Um, they bring in destructive heresies. They even pretend to, to be followers of the Lord. Look at the second part of, of verse 1 secretly bringing destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who 
who they claim has purchased them. And they bring upon themselves swift destruction, utter ruin. It's a it's error that if if it's believed it will destroy. It's a pseudo gospel, it's a counterfeit Christ. It's I think it's important to to mention with that term term heresy. Uh, you know, we've talked about heresy before. It means to choose. It's a self-chosen opinion, and, and it came with the idea of a, of a group or a sect that fostered their own opinions and separated from the, from the group. But it came to mean error or any errant teaching in, in the church um, because of that. But it's easy to overuse the word today, I think. I mean, let me just pastorally say this to you. Be careful calling someone a heretic. And when you call someone a heretic, make sure it's attached to the gospel. But if they need to be identified as a heretic, don't be afraid to identify them as a heretic. Just don't throw the word around. Um, A heretic is, is, is someone who's teaching, if believed, damns another person. It's connected to the gospel. A heretic is not someone who doesn't practice uh, secondary separation, or it's not someone who's a post-millennialist. It's not that those, that those positions are unimportant. You would just not call that heresy, because you could be a post-millennialist and go to heaven. Um, it's, it's, it's the fundamentals of the faith. It's, it's if you fail to believe these things, you're outside of the gospel. That would be someone who, who would believe Heresy. Um, not being a dispensationalist will not send you to hell. It, it can leave you really surprised when the rapture comes, but it's, it's not on the same level as the deity of Christ. Um, not believing in the deity of Christ will send you to hell. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's not just the name of Jesus, it's who Jesus is and what He did. It's, it's the propositional truth that, that make up who... Who Christ is and what he what he claimed you know to do, and these individuals are bringing in these 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 heresies, these errors alongside the truth. They're claiming that the Lord purchased them. It's redemption language. It's redemptive language. I've been purchased uh, by the by the Lord, and they bring upon themselves swift destruction. And then Peter gives us the, the third identifier. It's, they can be identified by their, their debased exploitation. They'll, they'll deceive widely. They'll arise familiarly, look for them within the church. They'll introduce secretly. They're not easily discerned. You've got to look for the feet, you know, tiptoeing behind the, the, the little cardboard cut out of the sheep. And, and they'll deceive deceive widely. Look at verse 2. They're going to bring destruction, they're going to bring upon themselves swift destruction. I mean, it's grieving words coming in verse 2. And many will follow their their destructive ways because of whom the way of the truth will be will be blasphemed. Many will follow their their sensuality. 
It's the destructive ways. It's the idea of um, off-the-hook behavior in, in, in immoral matters. Um, he identifies this sensuality and he identifies greed in verse 3. By covetousness, they'll exploit you with deceptive words. Their message claims to be orthodox, but it's really a denial of the Lordship of Christ and their lives are mingled with lack of restraint and, and greed. Whenever you see false teachers fall, the big public things, you're going to primarily see them, just as Peter will say in chapter 2, you're going to primarily see them fall in two areas. It's going to be immorality or it's going to be money. It's going to be greed. It has to do with, with one of those two things. And that's exactly how he identifies them, them here. And many will follow them. Why will many people follow them? Because the flesh is attracted to those same two things, immoral things and covetous things. I mean, verse 2, can you hear the words, Lord's, in the, in the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 7.13, many will follow their destructive ways. Matthew 7.13, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many, there are many who enter through it. It's a sad thing. And that verse alone testifies that universalism is not true. God has testified that that he will save a multitude that no man can number. And Matthew 7 sadly declares that there will be more people who will choose to perish than turn to Christ. They'll follow their pernicious or sensual ways. It means unrestrained. It means excessive or without restraint. I mean, the message says, be free. You know, unshackle yourself even from Christ or any restraint of self-control. Um, you can have these things by covetousness. They'll exploit you. Your best life now, you can have these things. They're, they're, they're available. Just follow. Just In seminary, we were, we were warned, I think we've shared this multiple times with you. It's worth repeating by Chuck Swindoll. He warned us to keep guard against the four S's. Slothfulness, silver, sex, and self. So there are four areas that the devil is going to attack you. He's going to try to attack you in, in um, slothfulness, laziness. He's going to try to attack you in, uh, in, in greed. Silver with money is going to try to attack you in... in in, in immorality, and he's going to try to attack you with, with self, with pride. And those are four pretty good areas to keep on guard against. I think Peter's point here is that the reason false teachers are followed is because their message appeals to the sensuality of the human heart. Many will follow their destructive ways. He gives two ways here. Their destructive ways versus the way of the truth that we blaspheme. There's the, the narrow and there's the broad. There's the door. The single exclusive door into heaven is Christ. And then there are all the other ways. 
for teachings give men permission to do what they want. Isn't that what 2 Timothy 4.3 says? The time will come will not endure sound doctrine, but, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. I mean, it's a, it's a match made in heaven. It's, it's a human heart looking for a message that's attractive to it, and so they find a teacher to tell them what, what they want to hear. How many religions or teachings have been developed in order to get a God to bless the sin of man? More than I can name, more than you can name. Um, And while they can pretend and seemingly get away with it for a while, ultimately they won't. Their fourth characteristic that that he gives here is found at the end of verse 3. It's found in their decreed condemnation. They will be judged assuredly. By covetousness, they will exploit you, in verse 3, with deceptive words. But for a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction will not slumber. There's two aspects of judgment here. There's an end time, and there's an eternal one. Um... There is, a, there is a judgment within false teaching itself. If you follow it, it doesn't work. And, and it, it leads you to struggle. Struggle with sanctification. You know, someone may be attracted to a faith healer or the health wealth gospel for, 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 for good reasons. They want to be free from, from their pain or their difficulty or whatever it is, but they follow that, it doesn't deliver. And then it can leave them shipwrecked. There's a, there's a judgment within following the teaching itself, and then there's an eternal judgment, which is what Peter is talking about here at the end of chapter 3. In the end, they will not escape wrath. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. It seems like they're getting away with it. I mean, have you ever listened to some of the words of, of the faith healers or false teachers, and you just go, oh, I can't believe that you just said that. Um, It seems like that they can do it and just get away with it, but Peter says their judgment has not been idle, storing up wrath upon wrath. Every word that's spoken, every blasphemy that is given is storing up for, for the day. In this last phrase, their destruction does not slumber, does not nod in sleep. It's a, it's a powerful word picture. It's, it's, it's the, the picture of an executioner. He's not nodding off so that he'll neglect his, his duty. Um, Bella was watching something uh, on TV. I think it was a Disney uh, channel or something, but it was the, it was the, the, the Disney Robin Hood um, with the fox. You know that's that's Robin Hood, and the buzzards are the are the little guys. And anyway, um, the sheriff of Nottingham falls asleep at the door, and you know it's 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 uh, um, Charlie uh, Charlie Chaplin type type of uh, you know vaudeville humor. You know he falls asleep at the door, 
and then, you know, they come in and fish the keys off to the side and unlock the door all the while they keep him asleep. They rock him, you know, when he you know, almost wakes up. And This picture here reminded me, you know, I watched that and I, my mind came back to this, probably because I just, I just preached it. Um, it's the executioners not nodding off so that he'll neglect this duty, is what he's saying. I mean, both of these phrases, Peter is saying, don't think that they're going to get away with it. Um, with watchful eyes, he holds the axe that will fall in judgment, and he doesn't accidentally turn his head and miss something. Every word that is uttered, man will give an account for one day. God is not mocked. Their perdition, one paraphrase translation says, their perdition waits for them with unsleeping eyes. God will not forget or overlook men who pervert His gospel. And unfortunately, those who follow their teaching will be caught in condemnation as, as well. And, and then he goes on and, and proves it from history. I'm going to stop here, but look at verse 4. Notice it's an explanation of what he's just said. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, cast them down into hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and God didn't spare the ancient world, the global flood, and verse 6, and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, but delivered Noah, he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, and delivered righteous Lot. Look at verse 9. Here's the conclusion. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and He knows how to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who walk according to the lust of the flesh and uncleanness and despise authority. I mean, he says exactly what we were just talking about. The angels, the flood, and Sodom was all evidence that God is not asleep at the wheel. And there's a blessing in the midst of, of that reminder. The warning is God will judge every false word And he knows how to, to reserve men for, for judgment, that refuse repentance and go in that direction. And God also knows how to rescue his people from both false teaching and judgment. Um, don't let a message like this scare you. Take comfort in the fact that he rescued Noah and he rescued Lot, and he knows how to protect you and rescue you. He knows how to rescue you from false teaching, and he also knows how to rescue you from judgment. Um, the way that God has done that is through the work of Christ on the cross. But if you've been involved in that type of stuff in the past, the Lord can save you, can rescue you, as he has before. I give you two conclusions to this whole matter. I think what Peter is saying there is look to the Bible alone for your authority and look to Christ alone for your safety. If you look to the Bible alone for your authority and Christ alone for your safety, 
and you'll be in pretty good shape. And the Lord will keep the rest between um, the ditches. Develop discernment. Um, because it's not anything new. But you need it. 